Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Well, uh, we've been in uh, this series uh, called Outsiders, um, but before we jump in, you know, I just wanted to, to kind of acknowledge um, a couple things as I was reflecting on last Sunday and this week. Um, this week was a long week uh, for me. I don't know if it was for all of you. Uh, it was a very long week for me. And I thought of uh, this, this story, this interaction that Jesus has in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Jesus is out doing his thing, and a man comes up, and he says, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to heal my son. He's been possessed by a demon. And they go back and forth a bit, and Jesus is kind of like, well, what, it, what do you want me to do about it? And the man likes, I need you to heal him. I trust you. I believe in you. And they have this kind of back and forth, and he says, uh, verse 23, he says, Jesus said to him, I'm sorry, let me read verse 22. Many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's the Father speaking to Jesus. Then Jesus says in verse 23, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Verse 24, immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Sometimes there's a, a, a disconnect. And sometimes us believers have a hard time acknowledging the fact that maybe we're a little shaky in our faith right now. That maybe my faith isn't 100% ironclad, no questions asked, I'm committed, I'm trusting, there's nothing going to shake that. That there's times when I can assertively and wholeheartedly say, I believe, but I need some help in my unbelief. I need some help where I'm questioning, where I'm wondering what's going on where I, it doesn't quite seem to make sense to me. I mean, it's the, the whole old-time adage of why do bad things happen to good people, right? I need that help to understand what, what's going on. And so as I reflected on last week, if you were here, um, we had a pretty powerful service where we anointed many folk in our church, and we asked and trusted and believed in God's healing for them or on behalf of them who they were coming to represent. And some of those scenarios this week didn't work out the way we prayed for them to. To be blunt. The thing we asked God to do, He didn't do. 
the thing we prayed and we petitioned and we said, I believe you can do it, God. He didn't do it. And there are times when we say, what am I supposed to do with that? I, I put everything in that basket, that hope, that trust. And he seemed to not come through. And it might seem trite, it might seem, um, you know, cliche. But scripture reminds us too that God's ways are not our ways. That no one understands the works of God. We seek to, we long to, we want to, but the reality is difficult things happen. We live in a broken and fallen world. And even if that person isn't responsible for that action coming to them, their sin didn't cause it, it wasn't a result of a bad choice they made, bad things happen to people because the world is sinful. And so in those moments when we question and when we're frustrated and when we don't quite understand why God didn't respond the way we wanted him to respond, Sometimes all we can do and what we need to do is lean in a little bit harder into God. I'll just, I'll say very plainly, when I prayed for Stephen last Sunday, I prayed for healing for his mom. That's what I prayed for. Did my prayer not work? Was, was my prayer ineffective? Was I not a good enough Christian? Did we need a better pastor to pray for him? No. Because Mary Ambrose is healed today. She's healed today. It's not the way we wanted it. And there's grief and there's sorrow. And there's pain there. But she's rejoicing in heaven this morning. So in that discomfort, and in that disconnect, and in that trial to understand deeper, today, we lean in heavier into God. We press in, asking Him to show us Himself a little bit better. May I understand Him a little bit more. May I trust Him in a new way and, and understand something in a new fashion than what I have before. So it's fitting that we pray once more. I know we pray a lot here at this church. We pray once more and ask God to do that um, as we step into this time together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you do speak into our lives. We ask that you do, as the man with the demon-possessed son said, help my unbelief. I believe, but I need help where it's hard to believe, where I've got questions, where I've got confusions, where I'm not sure if, if I'm really fitting into this system right, if, if, if things are out of position. God, may you speak into our lives today. May you give us some clarity today. Holy Spirit, may you speak something new into us that we can't escape. 
but we recognize it very readily, the truth being revealed in our lives. Jesus, come be with us this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we, we have been in the series, series called The Outsiders. And I don't know about you, uh, if you've ever felt like you were an outsider, um, or if you ever felt like you didn't quite fit in, uh, the funny thing about outsiders is almost everybody can relate to being an outsider, even those whom others would say are insiders. Because even when you're on the inside, you feel like, I'm not quite like everybody else. Right? If you've ever had or seen a, a tight-knit group of, of maybe teenagers, and you think, oh, that's the, the cool kids, that's the inside crew, that's the, the clique there, right? Even in that group where the rest of the school says, I'm on the outside because I'm not like them, I'm not a part of them, there's a constant fear of being found out to be a fraud in that group. That I'm not really like them either. Somehow I've, I've tricked them long enough to be a part of this group, but I'm, I'm not really part of them. And someday they're going to find out that I don't quite fit in, that I'm not quite the same. And really the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus continually finds the outsider and he brings them in. Continually, time and time again. The people that religion rejected, the people that society rejected, the people that well-intentioned, good people thought there's nothing good that can come from that person. Jesus says, yep, I want them on my team. And even for those who excluded others, he says, yep, I want you on my team. You can't keep excluding people, but I want you. There's some change that needs to happen, but I want you. I long for you. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story out of the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles, your phones, tablets, what have you, you can turn to the book of Joshua. Uh, it's back in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, if you will. And in Joshua, something pretty interesting has just been happening, right? The Israelites had been in slavery to Egypt for many, many years. And Moses had been risen up, given authority. He talked to a, a bush that was on fire. Some weird stuff happened. And he freed the Israelites from their slavery. Or God freed them, but he used Moses to do it. And they escaped Egypt through the Red Sea. Literally, the Red Sea parted in two parts, and he walked through like the middle of these aisles here, and it was completely dry ground, and they all walked through it together. And the sea closed up on the Egyptians as they were hurling down after them to recapture them and put them back into slavery. And then some things had happened. The, the Israelites found themselves trying to find a new land, and they'd been promised this promised land, and they were going on their way, and they made a lot of mistakes. And as a result, Moses was told by God, your people are going to wander, and you're never going to see the promised land as a result of your unfaithfulness. I, I, God said, I'll, I'll be faithful, and I'm going to bring them to the promised land, but you, Moses, will not see the promised land. And so eventually, as they find themselves living in the desert, Moses dies. Loss of leadership. Loss of instruction. Loss of guidance. A man whom 
many had followed and revered in the society now is gone. What do we do? Here comes Joshua, Moses' assistant. Joshua is given the authority to lead the people. He's charged by God with the task to go into the promised land now. God says, I'm going to keep my promise. I keep my promises. So now it's time for you guys to go into the promised land. And as Joshua and the Israelites are moving towards the promised land, they find a pretty big roadblock in the way. It's called the city of Jericho. And immediately we see who's an insider and who's an outsider here, right? I mean, obviously the people inside the city gates, inside Jericho, are the insiders. And the Israelites are the outsiders. They're outside the city. They're outside their promised land. They can't get back to where they're supposed to be. And it seems like, once again, the roadblock is too large. This is never going to come. This is never going to happen. Because we got this big old city in our way. And we're not warriors. Even if we were, we don't have the weapons. We've been wandering in the desert. We don't have the equipment and the machinery to take out a city. The Israelites were promised the land. But Jericho was in the way. And as I said before, right, outsiders, insiders see themselves as outsiders, and outsiders sometimes see themselves as insiders, right? So the Israelites, even though they were outside the city, and they were outside the gates, and they were outside the wall, they knew their promise was in that land. They believed they were the insiders. God had given them that land. God had promised it to them. They were God's chosen people. They were the insiders, even as they were outside the city. And those who were inside Jericho didn't realize it, but they were on the outside of God's plan. They didn't realize it, but their city walls weren't going to last very long. Because God had promised something else. But in this story, we see somebody pop up. That's really interesting. She's an outsider even to the outsiders who becomes a really major insider in the story of Jesus. Let me find my spot in my Bible here. That's what happens when you don't prep. Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 here. It says this Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. 
But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men persuaded them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, or I'm sorry, pursued them along the roads of the fords to the Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. So we have an interesting encounter here. And the adjective that the scriptures use to describe Rahab is a pretty condemning adjective to describe her. It's not, there was a lady named Rahab. There was a woman who was struggling along her way, Rahab. No, there was a prostitute named Rahab. The outsider to the outsiders. Even in Jericho, she didn't have a high place in society. She wasn't well revered. She wasn't well respected by those who came into contact with her. She's the kind of lady that parents would kind of curl their children away from as she walked past them in the market, right? That's the prostitute that lives over there. Let's keep our kids safe. And the Israelites come there to spy on the land, and they go to her house. Now think about the Israelites like good, decent church folk for a second. And think how many of those good, decent church folk would have been totally offended that the Israelite men went and stayed at the house of a prostitute. Totally offended. How disgusting. Yet what we see in the story is something extraordinary happened that nobody realizes is happening yet. But God is doing something. God is orchestrating and creating a plan and a line that we haven't even begun to break into the system yet. So Rahab outsider to the outsiders, makes a choice in this moment to do something different, to trust in something outside of her comfort zone. Have you ever felt like you were the outsider to the outsiders? That because of your status in life or the choices you've made, that you weren't quite allowed to fit in or belong? That there was always something that kind of held you back a little bit, kept people at arm's length. Maybe it was just by happenstance of your birth. Because you were born this way, or at this place, or in this time. Because you were born of this ethnicity, or this gender, or this race, whatever it is. You feel like society has kept you at arm's length. Or maybe it's because of choices you've made. Because you did or did not do something at some point in life, you now have this kind of scorn that society puts on you. And what society has done is society has tried to erase the scorn and say that should never have been scorn. It should never have been something that we're, we're against. but it still doesn't really get at the heart of the matter. That's just the after effect. The other thing about choices is we've learned, right, that choices, this or that, life's not always a binary choice, right? You have choices. You have the ability to choose to do things, but there's other factors that 
manipulate or encourage or change why you choose the things you choose. All the time, one of my favorite questions to ask when I, when I meet a new soldier is, why'd you join the military? And there's some interesting stories of why people join the military. And a lot of them, it's because they felt like they had no other way to be successful in life. They felt like they had no other way to get out of town, to make something of themselves, to be who they were supposed to be or whatever, unless they joined. And in the choices and in those moments when we choose things that society says that's a negative, that's a bad thing, you should never have chosen that, very rarely, almost never, does a person step into that moment and say, I'm choosing to do something that society's not going to like on purpose because I want to do something wicked. Almost never. No, more often than not, yeah, I know this isn't probably the best path for me, but I feel like there's not really many other options. I feel like if I don't do this, then the consequences are far worse. I've got kids and responsibilities, so if I, if I don't do this, then how can I feed them? How can I raise them to have a better opportunities and better choices and better advantages than I've had? So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stump into the muck a little bit in order that hopefully my kids have a better opportunity. That's more often where the choices get difficult. And we don't know all the factors into how Rahab chose the profession she found herself in. If it was, hey, I want to do this because it's wicked and evil, probably not, right? More likely there was other factors that pressed her there, pushed her there, um, societal pressures. And even as she's there in that moment, she has a choice when the spies come. She could maybe potentially change her position in society. She could maybe potentially be a hero in Jericho for calling out the spies and stopping the, the besiegement that the Israelites were trying to take on Jericho. But for whatever reason, her choice seemed to not go there and instead go to protect them because she believed that the things that the city was starting to hear about the Israelites were true. That their God really was the God who protected them and took them through the Red Sea. That their God really did promise them this land and that their God was going to deliver that. And so instead, she says, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and I'm going to protect these men, protect these spies, and see what might happen as a result. Let me tell you something. You might feel like your past choices, the things you've done, the places you've gone, the things you've said, whatever, those, those guilts, those hang-ups that you have in the back of your mind, keep God at arm's length from you. Because you've seen it so much from people, maybe even church people. But let me tell you something. It doesn't keep God at arm's length. No. No, God wants you on the team. God desires for you to be on the team. And what he's asking is for you to make that choice today to join the team. To be on that team. 
your choices before don't disqualify you from choosing Jesus today. Your choices before don't disqualify you from choosing Jesus today. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many of the commandments you've broken. Jesus wants you, desires you, he longs for you, he died for you, he rose back to life for you. Jesus wants you, and we see that in Rahab. We see that in her story. Let's continue the story here, picking up in verse 12. So the men have gone and come back, or I'm sorry, the, 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 Spies have stayed, but the guards have left the city, right? They were looking for the spies. And so now we see in verse 12, Rahab makes a plea to the Israelite men. Right? The outsider to the outsiders makes a plea to the Israelites, knowing that God's going to deliver this land to them, but knowing and not believing that she could ever be one of them. I can never be on the inside, right? So she pleads for the smallest things she can plead for. Not to be welcomed into Israel, not to be allowed to, to thrive in Israel. No, instead she says this, verse 12. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by rope through the window since she lived in the house that was built into the city or into the wall of the city. Rahab. didn't have the self-esteem to say, I want a place in Israel, right? She's got all the bargaining power here. She's got all the power in this relationship right now. She says the word, those guards come back, they seize them, game over for Israel. But she doesn't use that as leverage because she doesn't have the, the self-esteem and the security in herself to do that. No, instead she just says simply, will you just spare our lives? Me and my family. Just, just don't kill us. And the Israelite men don't offer anything more. They say, yep, we can do that for you. They don't say, no, we want you a part of our community. We want you to be on the inside. God loves you. He wants a plan for you. He's got something better. They don't say any of that. They just say, yep, we can do that. If you don't squeal on us, we'll make sure you stay alive. And then they say in verse 17, we will be free from this oath you made us swear. Unless, when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brother, and all the, your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. After they'd gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. 
So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way, but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country, and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. The Israelites feel pretty good. They've got a lot of confidence in this moment. But God is doing something more than just delivering Jericho to the Israelites. God is making an outsider an insider. And the Israelites, the insiders, don't even realize it. They have no idea. In fact, they're not really even concerned about it. They're looking to absolve themselves of any responsibility. Your problems are not my problems. But since you helped me out, we'll repay the debt. But we're not doing anything more for you. So yeah, you, you'll stay alive and then you'll have to figure out what to do wandering in the desert yourself with your family for the rest of your lives. Because we're not going to do anything else for you. We'll just keep you alive since you kept us alive. But if you break anything, if you even so much as speak a word about this to anybody else, we, we're not responsible for what happens to you. It's not on us. So the story goes on. Rahab kept her end of the bargain. God kept his end of the bargain. The Israelites came to Jericho. They marched around the city. They did their trumpet blast, all those things. And Jericho came down. Jericho was destroyed. But Rahab and her family lived. And here's what's so cool about this story. My favorite part about this story is God chose Rahab for an honor that the Israelites weren't willing to give her or wouldn't have readily given her. Rahab became an integral part in the line of Jesus, the genealogical line of Jesus. I don't know if you can see all that on the screen there. But on the bottom right-hand side there, about middle way down, off to the right-hand side, where that red circle is, that's Rahab. Rahab, after this, and Jericho fell, married Salmon. And they had a son named Boaz. Boaz might sound familiar to you if you know the story of Ruth. Because Boaz married Ruth. And as a result... The line grew, and we got King David. And the line continued to grow, and we got King Solomon. And the line continued to grow, and we got Jesus of Nazareth. Because Rahab chose to be faithful. Because God brought an outsider inside. Because God didn't limit himself or the things he wanted to do to a person's past actions. What else is interesting about this, this lineage? If you know anything about the lines of kings and stuff, the, it's, it's very much an effort to maintain the uh, purity of that bloodline, right? 
You don't want commoners getting mixed in with the bloodline of the king. You want to maintain that. But in the line to Jesus, we've got two non-Israelites who are integral parts to Jesus' birth between Rahab and Ruth. Rahab and Ruth. Without either of those women's faithfulness, the line to Jesus wouldn't have happened the way it did. As I see this and I think about this, I, I realize this is really a cautionary tale to church folk more than it is to Israel, right? A lot of times we read stories in the Old Testament and we think, man, how, how dense was Israel? Like, they never got it. They always had it wrong. They're always messing up. But the reality is, when we read the Old Testament, more often than not, it's a mirror reflecting us. It's reflecting our own attitudes and our own actions. And there are many who call themselves believers today that would be content keeping the Rahabs of the world at an arm's length. Because they've made bad choices. They've chosen wrong. They've done bad things. But God is never limited by that. And he doesn't desire for us to limit others by that either. Some of the greatest work, the most awesome things that God does, is when he turns an outsider to an insider. When he turns the unforgiven to forgiven. When he turns the, the dead to alive. So for you and me this week, what do we do with this story? Well, one thing, keep our eyes open for the Rahabs of the world. The outsiders to the outsiders who are just waiting for an opportunity to serve, to give, to trust in something better, to trust in something deeper. And then two, to do a better job than the Israelites do at bringing her in. This, this lineage thing, this was all God. God is the one who did all that. These Israelite spies and Joshua didn't have any part in this. It's not like they brought Rahab in and said, she's such a hero, we love her, we wish everybody would get to know her, let's get her married up with our best guy in town. They didn't do that. They were content, saying, yep, we need you right now. Once we're done, you do your thing, we'll do our thing, and we'll move on from here. But God's not content with that. God wants to bring people in. God wants everyone to have a part. Everyone to find a place. Everyone to not feel like they're an outsider, but know and trust and believe that they are an insider. And not just an insider in a small group, but an insider in the kingdom of God that is coming. That will restore and rebuild and make all things new and all things right. So this week, may you go and you may you find the Rahabs. And may you love them, and may you encourage them, and may you bring them into the kingdom of God 
in gracious and merciful ways. And may you look for more and more opportunities every day. Will you stand with me and we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, Today is a day that in the grand scheme of things doesn't seem that different than yesterday. Time is fleeting. Days come and days go. But God, in moments when we're faced with challenges and opportunities and insights, God, those are moments that can stick with us that shape our attitudes, that shape our thoughts, that, that give us conviction and courage to step into the moments that prior to we wouldn't have had the strength to step into. So God, this week I pray for each one of us in this room that we look for the, the Rahabs in our lives. And God, for those in this room who maybe have felt like they are Rahab, may they have heard very clearly and may they hear once more that Rahab has a place in the kingdom of God. That they have a place in the kingdom of God. That they are dearly loved in the kingdom of God. That they need not sit on the outside of the kingdom of God, but that they can belong and be a part of the inside of the kingdom of God. Jesus, as we go from this place, may you guide us, may you keep us, may you protect us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. Go in his peace today. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.